Will you pray with me? The prayer for illumination is printed in your bulletin and up on the screen. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading today is taken from Luke 23, 32 through 43. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. It seems in the last few weeks that I have been in many conversations about prayer. As we watched and talked about the revival at Asbury Seminary, we talked about the power of prayer in that movement. Last weekend, my family and I saw the Jesus Revolution movie, and we talked about the power of evangelistic prayer and the impact that it had on the Jesus People revival movement in the 60s and the 70s. And we have had many discussions within our own churches about our own practices, including prayer. As we worked through the Five Practices book and study, we've taken a moment to look at the practices within our churches, and we have repeatedly said that the foundation of everything that we do needs to be prayer. As I read through the scripture this week, and I heard the voice of Jesus as he once again spoke to us from the cross, I was struck with something about our prayers and our conversations with God. Before Jesus speaks, we hear the mocking that is coming from the crowd. If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. He has saved others, they mocked. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah. If you are the Messiah, save yourself and us. If you are the Messiah. This questioning, this challenge of if, hangs in the air around the cross. If you are God, then do something. If you can save others, then save yourself. These words offend me. How dare they 
challenge God. How dare they question God? We would never. Once again, as we said last week, Benita's words rang in my ear, we are them. In my mind, I heard the words of prayers that I have spoken that sounded more like questions. In times and prayers of desperation, I have prayed, God, change my circumstance. Can you? God, I pray your Holy Spirit move. Will you? God, I pray that you will move in this church. Will you? Lord, I have prayed for salvation in your name, just as you have told me, but did it stick? Did you really save me? Can you save even me? All of these questions, prayed in innocence and earnest wanting, must pierce at the heart of God. Can you move? Will you move? Are you present? Have you saved? All of these prayers center around who God is and what power God will use in our lives and how even the most devout, even the best parts of us sometimes struggle with who God really is and what the nature of God truly is. And we seek evidence of God's power and of God's nature. If you are God, we say, you can change this circumstance. If you are God, you can make this mountain move. If you are God, things can be different. If you are the Messiah, save yourself. We don't mean to sound like them, but we are them, aren't we? We want God to move in the ways that will be defining for us. We want God's will to bend to our will at times, but that's not how it goes. I think of Christ's tear-filled prayer, please, in the garden before he was arrested. Scripture says, deeply troubled, Jesus turns to God and says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. These words differ from our own prayers. As Jesus says, if it's possible, please change my circumstance, but I bend to your will for my life. We pray in desperation, in worry, in want, in celebration even, in communication with the Almighty, but often we pray with our own agendas and our own expectations in mind. We don't pray out of contempt or mockery. We don't challenge God out of irreverence, but we do often bring our own plans before the throne. In his prayer, Jesus didn't offer God the plan B. He didn't offer God the other way. He didn't say, Father, I, I have been thinking about this and considering all the option, and I believe there is a better way. He didn't try to strike a deal with God. If you do this, then I will. His words of deep worry and grieving and fear said, if there is another way possible, let it be, but not my will, your will be done. Jesus knew that in bending to God's will and God's way, it did not mean that God had forgotten him or that God was not being God in that moment, which is what we sometimes do. In challenging times, we say, where is God? 
Why is God silent? Why doesn't God change this? Why isn't God moving like I want God to move? On the worst day of his human life, Jesus prayed that if it were possible for this cup to pass, let it pass. He leaves the entire situation in God's hands. He prays in confidence that if there is another way, God would know and God would allow it to be. Jesus doesn't try to outplan God. He doesn't try to out-God God, though he were qualified. He says, if this can pass, let it pass. But if it cannot, pass unless I drink it, then your will be done. So often in our prayers, we lay out an alternative plan for God. And our alternative plan will address all that we see that is wrong with our current circumstance, and then we tailor our prayers around it. We say, okay, Lord, here's the situation, as if he didn't know. And here's the solution that I have prepared, as if we know better. Now let my will be done. Does that sound like the prayer of the Savior? Here's the problem. I've fixed it. Can you get on board, Lord? We may not be that cut and dry about it, but essentially, isn't that what we do? And is that that far off from what the first thief said to Jesus? Jesus was crucified with two others, criminals whose actions had garnered the death penalty, and one of them joins in the mockery saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself. And us. That would be great. He's saying, aren't you God? Aren't you the Savior? Then move like the Savior. Show everyone your power. Save yourself. And while you're at it, just save us too. If you are God, then move like I expect God to move. Save me the way I expect to be saved. If you are God, then do what I expect God to do. That's not how God works. You see, in that moment, God was moving. In that moment on the cross, Jesus was saving. He just wasn't doing it the way they expected. It just didn't look like they were expecting being saved to look. It didn't look like God was present. It didn't look like God was moving. It didn't look like God was taking action. Yet the battle against death would be won in a time that they thought that God was still, that Jesus was dead. Just because it doesn't look like God is moving to us doesn't mean that God is still. It just means that God is God and God is moving the way that God sees best. To pray for God's intervention is not wrong. It is necessary. It is needed. But to expect that we can dictate the better outcome is wrong. This thief challenges God. The second prays a much different prayer, a humble prayer. The second thief says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I said earlier that the words recorded in scripture offended me. As I studied this scripture, 
I was more offended for a moment. This criminal is the only person recorded in the New Testament to call Jesus by name. This man who had done something so heinous, heinous enough to warrant the death penalty, called out to my Savior this personally, saying, Jesus, Jesus, not rabbi, not Messiah, not teacher, but Jesus. And he says, remember me. And at first I thought, who is this to cry out to Jesus by name? Who am I to cry out to Jesus by name? You see, you might think it's strange that Jesus is responding to the thief who hangs beside him. You may think it's strange that he doesn't ask Christ to pardon him or save him. But instead, he asked for Jesus to remember him. In this culture, particularly that recorded in the Old Testament, when God remembers someone, God delivers them. This is a perfect example of how important it is to understand the cultural context of Scripture. The thief isn't asking Jesus not to forget about him. You know, if we say, remember to take out the trash, it's, Don't forget. He's saying, Jesus, remember me, meaning deliver me. That's what the language and the terms intended. In the Old Testament, we read of God remembering Noah and the animals and moving the floodwaters. In Exodus, God heard his people's cry, and he remembered them and his covenant, and he set them free through Moses David even pleads for God's remembrance in the Psalms. Because when God remembers, action follows. Deliverance happens, salvation is offered. So when the thief says, remember me, he's asking for God's movement. But he's not dictating what it looks like. There's an important distinction there. He's not saying, Jesus, save me in the way I think I should be saved. He's saying, remember me, which means God You do what only you can do. You move in the way that you see fit. He is asking for God to intervene in his life. And Jesus moves in that moment. As he replies, today you will be with me in paradise. And you may think that means that the Savior has just offered an invitation into the afterlife of heaven or glory. And that is true, but there's more to the Savior's words. There's much deeper meaning to paradise in that language. The original Greek language using paradise to mean the garden. Think of what the garden means to us. We know that when they were in the garden, Adam and Eve experienced a deeply personal relationship with God. They were as close to God as one can possibly be. Jesus tells the criminal that today, On the worst day of his life, when he is identified as the worst of the worst and he is suffering that penalty, Jesus promises paradise. All throughout his teaching, Jesus said that the kingdom of God had come near when he was present. We learn from Christ that we don't have to wait for a faraway heavenly promised paradise. We can have paradise today on our worst days, 
when we are declared the worst of the worst, labeled as that who cannot be redeemed, Jesus will say, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. And in these words of forgiveness from Christ from the cross, he's offering those same words to us. We can have peace in the midst of our circumstance, even the very worst ones. We can have a new identity, even on the day that we have been identified as the worst of the worst, if we cry out to Jesus and we bend to God's will for our lives. If we ask Christ to remember us, we can live into the words of the scriptures that say that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. We have been justified and reconciled. And the kingdom of heaven can come now. We can have peace and joy, patience and kindness, even in the midst of the turmoil of this world. We can live out the words that we pray in the Lord's prayer as we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These prayer-filled words are not a waiting prayer. They are a living prayer. Our salvation is not an insurance policy for the afterlife. It is a gift that we get to enjoy now and that we get to live into each day of our life as we move toward perfection. Jesus, remember me. And Christ says, today, you are with me. And all God's people said, Amen.